Hello and welcome to Brokenomics. Now, as you guys know, I've been doing a bit of a country thing lately. I've been looking at a number of countries and I've, and I've been wanting to highlight really important stories. Um, I wanted to talk about Canada and the thing that I most wanted to talk about Canada was the great truckers protest. Now, this for me was an absolutely inspirational moment. I think it was what shook us out of the, of, of the COVID pandemic. It really realigned my thinking on a lot of things because before that, I was never really a regime guy, but um, maybe I, I, I gave more credence to view that there was a lot more um, cock up than conspiracy going on. And it was really COVID and the remarkable things that happened around the, the, the truck of COVID that, that woke me up to a lot of this stuff. So I knew that I definitely wanted to talk about it on this channel. And I knew the guy that I wanted to reach out to. Um, it was a guy who wrote uh, this book, um, Benjamin uh, J. Dichter. So I reached out to him on, on Twitter and said, you know, is there any chance that we can arrange an interview? We, we can do this remotely. Uh, and, and he not only said yes, but he jumped on a plane. And here he is. Ben, thanks for coming in. My pleasure. Uh, really appreciate you uh, flying all the way out here uh, to talk about this. Um, th I think that the truckers' protest was, you know, one of the most impactful political moments of my lifetime, certainly. Um, it, I think it really dug us out of something. So I'm so excited to talk about this. But when we got talking, yeah. there's a whole other layer to this. Oh, there's many, many layers. Yes. But I'll tell you, you know, firstly, it's an honor for me to be invited to England. It's my second time being here. And what better place to discuss what I think is one of the great achievements of freedom and protest than in the country that gave birth to the Magna Carta. I think there's something important, an important lesson for people all over the world who tend to rewrite history and that we can engage in this episode to try to reset things and get life pushed a little bit back towards rationalism. If that makes sense. That's, that, is, that is essential. Thank you. Um, as we got into this, obviously, we, we started pulling away the layers of the onion on this one. Yes. And I started to realize... Oh my God! How are we going to explain all of this? It's 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 the, the, a mini series. Yeah, it's it, it's deep. Um, but we 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 got you for a short amount of time. So, how about this? How about we chunk this one up into two parts? All right. So what we're going to do is we talk about the uh, the mainstream story. Okay. This is probably the version that's probably going to end up in the history books. Um, it's the story that the people who are following at the time were familiar with. We talk about that. And we, we, we try and keep that reasonably compressed. And then we're going to go on to talk about the absolutely fascinating bit, which is essentially the short version, if I've got this right, is that uh, the regime, the uniparty, whatever you want to call it, the establishment players, they first tried to stop you. And when they realized that they couldn't, they subverted. And the, and the tentacles went into this one on a deep level. And that's still playing out today. And there are court cases and inquiries that are still playing that out. So I think that's how we're going to come in. So let's start with um, the version that we're, we're all going to read about in our history books, most of which is true. It just doesn't tell the whole story. So let's go back to where we were in um, late 2021. Well, Canada had become a dystopian nightmare. Mm -hmm. and we were in my province, we were going into our second hard lockdowns. 
and our conservative provincial government. Remember, mm -hmm. we have a federal system of government, so we have both a federal government and provincial uh, parliaments, federal and provincial parliaments. So our provincial parliament, which was run by the conservatives, uh, was starting to contemplate vaccine passports for going to the supermarket and going to restaurants. We had ArriveCan, which was the digital tracking app that was required by Canadian citizens to re-enter their country. And the government would, as they always do, the, the evil bureaucrats would wash their hands and say, oh, we're not demanding that truckers have to be vaccinated if they want to come back into Canada. They'll just have to quarantine for 14 days every time they do. Okay, so this wasn't just truckers, it was Canadians as a whole. It was Canadians as a whole. Okay, but of course, if you're, if you're a regular Canadian working an office job, you can just not leave the country. So you, you can work with it. But if you're a trucker, you literally have no choice but to, but to comply and get vaccinated. Yes, well, the trucker element is that's what drove the truckers to mobilize, right? Yep. But regular people were equally affected. Like if you were, um, if you wanted to travel across the country, you wanted to get on an airplane or a, a, a train, what you call it, railroad? Mm. <laughs> I'm in England. I'm trying to be respectful, right? <laughs> we, we, we go with trains, yeah. Yes. <laughs> no, but if you want to get on a train or yeah. on a plane to cross the country... Well, and this is a big country, so... Pretty big country, yeah. yeah. You, you're, you, pretty you're not driving from one end to the other. I mean, you could, I guess, in seven days if you want, right? Yeah. And uh, so you didn't have that option. You were stuck in your city. And it just got increasingly more dystopian. There started to be... Uh, discussions politically on locking people down province to province. Uh, it was really quite concerning the mm. amount of authoritarian creep that people were willing uh, to, to accept. And it's just another example of behavioral nudge theory gone amok. You know, another turn yeah. of the ratchet towards acceptance, and nobody was saying anything. And at this point, um, if Canada was anything like the UK was, mm -hmm. this had, politics had moved very much from the realm of, you know, we're all in this together. Um, you know, how do we achieve common goals? It had moved very much into the friend enemy dynamic, which was um, we are the good guys, we in government and the people who've been vaccinated. And the bad guys are the people who haven't been vaccinated. Um, they are the enemy. They're stopping us. They're the ones who are responsible for us all being locked down. It's got nothing to do with the fact that the government and the uh, and the security apparatus is enforcing this. No, it's it's all the unvaccinated people. They are they are basically evil at this point. Well, there was a point where uh, Justin Trudeau, I call him Prime Minister Blackface, as long as other a lot of other people do as well, uh, started you know I message testing or just stupidity and not using his brain. Uh, just theorizing, how are we going to tolerate these people who are not vaccinated? How are we going to tolerate them? And, you know, it's, it's really frustrating coming from my background. Mm. Um, I have, you know, when, when Justin Trudeau was calling us uh, neo-Nazis, I responded in one of my interviews that, unfortunately, unlike Prime Minister Blackface, I still have ancestors buried in mass graves in Europe because mm. of people with his kind of rhetoric. Mm. And it's shocking the number of people who have not learned the lessons of history, and in this particular case, World War II that the activists always obsess over. That yeah. lesson of, that was the government that killed people. 
Yeah, I mean, that, that, that is a whole issue there. That the mm -hmm. uh, and, and we've had this a lot in the UK. Any slight allusion to uh, any suggestion that you can learn any lesson from history and the Second World War and the Holocaust is immediately shut down as anti-Semitic. That's, anti right. anti That's right. Because, because basically the view is that the Holocaust is, is an event that took place over a year or so um, with no build-up. It just came out of the blue. Actually, <laughs> exactly. actually it, was, it was a process of, uh, depending on where you, where you, where you start the process, it was at least a 14-year period of ratcheting it up. And it started with the divisive language of, of singling out a different population, um, blaming them for all the ills. Right. And it led somewhere. And, and the point that a number of us tried to make at the time is, you know, we, we haven't arrived at the, end, the same end point but we've, we're on the same beginning point. We're on the same process of this. It's the exact this, same trajectory. Yeah. yeah so it was a really uncomfortable. I mean, UK was never as bad as Canada, from, from what I can tell. It certainly wasn't as bad as Australia. Mm -hmm. But we, we, was, we were still on this slow march. Yeah. And I think the public's, the public's patience was... And, it, it, and the public was initially supported for a lot of this stuff, but the, 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 it, it had clearly crossed a line and it had clearly gone into government overreach. Um, and something was going to give. We kind of knew that something was going to give somewhere around the world. And it gave in Canada. What actually happened to start this thing off? Well, one of the things I keep getting asked frequently by my American supporters, friends and whatnot, is they say, why did it start in Canada? There's, there's like a degree yeah. of envy because, you know, they're the freedom fighters. Because we think Canadians is pretty docile. Uh, we are. We yeah. are. But like I said on stage during the convoy at one point, uh, Canadians are, are quite passive until you get in the hockey ring. <laughs> and that's what the politicians did. They stepped in the hockey ring with us. The unique difference between Canada and the US is, I mean, for us, many of us, we now have such a great respect a much greater respect for their constitution and states' rights. Because mm. in our case, because we're so top-heavy and the federal government has so much power, if you were in Ottawa, if you're in Ontario, it doesn't matter where you went in the country, you had the same regulations. So if you're in the US, you're in New York, okay, what, you, what can you do? What everybody did, they went to Florida or they went to Texas or Mississippi, went to other states where the regulations were completely different. We didn't have an escape. It, there was nothing we can do. And it got, it only got worse and worse. And in one case, in the case of uh, Quebec, that provincial government took upon mm. it themselves to, um, to, to introduce regulations that locked people in their homes unless you wanted to take your dog for a walk. That was the only reason you could leave your house. Get groceries, I think it was once a week, and take the dog for a walk. And people just went along with it. It was, it was infuriating. Yeah. And the nature of truckers, to your point, what led to this, is it's very, it's interesting. It's, a, it's the world, it's like the modern world of the Wild West. That's where you get the independent people who want to, mm. they're a little bit more solo in their demeanor. They want to explore the mm. countryside. They want to explore the world and they can do it alone. Uh, very self-sufficient people, and those are going to be the people that are are most I don't know most aggravated by this sort of authoritarian. I, I don't have a heavy goods license, back. but I see the appeal of having your own little kingdom, 
Um, you can sit there, you know, listening to Lotus Eaters podcasts or whatever it is. Which I do, by the way. <laughs> well, look, look at it this way. I tried to explain this to somebody recently because I have a lot. Look, I come from the corporate world. I mm -hmm. went into trucking much later in life. Mm -hmm. And they said, why? What do you, you, they know I was doing it during COVID. That was my escape. That's what really got me into right. the truck. But they said, why, why would you or anybody do it? And they said, if I told you, you could take a few days a week and get in your truck and go explore the most remote parts of America. You choose the state where you want to go, get a dispatch, and you'll be all on your own. You'll get paid to do it, and nobody's going to bother you, and you get to listen to Lotus Eaters podcasts all day long. <laughs> Who's gonna? What what man is gonna say no to that? Yeah. Like that is a unique uh, masculine experience. Although in my interestingly, opinion. the the spark point here wasn't a man. It was um, Bridget Belton, wasn't it? What did Bridget do? It was. Yeah, it was. So Bridget, who hated me during the convoy, <laughs> and I, I didn't really, but I, I I didn't understand the dynamics that was going on during okay. it. I was focused on messaging. Yeah, I didn't know all the political games that were already in play. Yeah. Uh, but we and me and her and many of the others have since, you know, come into alignment with each other. We now all mm -hmm. understand each other's experiences. But it was in November. Uh, I, I don't remember the exact date, but it was in November 2021. She was crossing back into the into the United States, and uh, she had a dispute with CBSA, our Border Security Services. Okay. Uh, they pulled her over for two hours, threatened her with arrest because she didn't want to wear a mask. Um, she wasn't vaccinated as well. So wear a mask in her cab? Yeah, like when you drove up to the booth, she had to wear a mask. Right, okay. Uh, no, sorry, not when she drove up to the, they called her inside. Okay. Um, she's going to scream at me because I'm missing a lot of nuance and details, but the general thing, she had a, she had conflict with CBSA, mm -hmm. and um, it was, it apparently was a very traumatic, traumatic uh, experience for her. And then she also had a similar experience, she went to Subway, and it's it's a little more difficult for women as a trucker, mm. right? Our our anatomy is a little bit different, okay. Mm. And so she went to uh, Subway to do a delivery, right? Like a Subway warehouse or some sort of thing. Yeah. And she said, "I need to use the washroom. I'm dying to use the washroom. Please, I've been on the road for whatever." This is where she just had delivered to their warehouse. She went to like a regular Subway down the street said, I want to get food and use your washroom. No, no, you can't. And so she, you know, felt humiliated. She had to, I guess, go in the bushes in the freezing cold. And I guess it was a low point of her life. She'll yeah. explain it much better. She does it quite frequently online. And she went to TikTok and social media. She went to TikTok, I found out the other day, because she was banned from Facebook from already discussing why she opposed mandates, why it's authoritarian and all that sort of stuff. And she guess she inspired other truckers, reached out to other truckers. We have to have a convoy, convoy 2022, let's have a convoy. And you do that enough times, eventually you're going to pick up other people who say, you know what, I agree, let's do something. So it was a natural origin. Somebody just mm -hmm. got pushed past their breaking point, yes. vented the frustration, the germ of the idea was born. Yes. And the, and the, and the convoy... Uh, the convoy came into being. What what was it in the early days, and what did it become? 
What, what do you mean? What was in the early days? So it, it it didn't start off as a as a as a mission to Ottawa, as I understand. It was going to be a regional thing or a, a smaller scale thing. Yeah, there were different ideas that were shared. Um, from what I understand, Bridget's because this was long before I was involved. Mm -hmm. uh, their original vision they had talked about was doing what's called a slow roll. Sometimes right. you see trucker protests, they'll just drive really slow, cause excessive mm -hmm. traffic and disruptions and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. So that was their original concept. And then somebody came along and uh, decided, well, because a group of truckers had formed and decided we're going to have a convoy. I think there was 11 or 12 of them. And they had a plan. They were going to do slow rolls in different areas across the country. Mm -hmm. And then someone came along and said, no, we're going to go to Ottawa. And they all looked at each other and said, we're not going to Ottawa. Why would we go to Ottawa? And, you know, for whatever reason, who knows why, perhaps there were people with political ties involved in that. I'm not sure. But they changed the, the direction and focus of the convoy to make it a convoy to Ottawa. Okay. Um, and it started to really grow, didn't it? Yes. The, the word went out. It resonated. Um, how quickly did it grow and what happened? It was, there, it was already, you, you could, I saw online there was a little bit of talk about it. And that's about the time when Tamara Leach reached out to me. Because she had joined or reached out to those, that group of truckers and joined them. And then she reached out to me. She started to go fund me mm -hmm. and reached out to me because I had known her for four years and asked me, you know, would you be able to, would you be willing to get involved, help with messaging? Because I remember she said to me on the, the very first call, she said to me, I know, she said, look, I, I love these truckers. They're great guys, but I can't have them do media. You know, they'll, they'll slice them up. They, you know, she knows I have experience with media, produce podcasts. I've been media trained in the past as well. So I said, yeah, of course. I, I agree with the, uh, the goals, I am very fed up with the direction of our country and I have been for quite some time. And I said, yeah, I, I, let me finish some work I'm doing today. I'll clear off my uh, slate and I'll start working on it and put together a strategy, a way to message, an idea to reach people and start working on things. So you mentioned the, the GoFundMe because that was one of the things that first started bringing it to international attention because it was, it was picking up steam. More and more truckers across the country were joining. Lots of people who weren't truckers wanted to support it and you had people coming out waving at bridges, um, you know, serving food by the road for the truckers, all that kind of thing. But the, but the GoFundMe was quite striking. How, how did that play out? The GoFundMe, I think she called me when it was like a hundred thousand dollars because it, it was originally set for thirty thousand i think yeah and she called me when it hit if i if memory serves i could be slightly off but in the neighborhood of a hundred hundred fifty thousand something like that she called and said it's growing really quickly and uh i thought great that's a perfect tool so what i need is i need to have a good vibe a good messaging a good message that we could sell to everybody i wanted to focus on we need to sell across the political spectrum this can't just be conservative only. We need to wake up people from the other side as well. Hmm. And the fact that this GoFundMe is growing very quickly, that's just, you know, uh, that's catnip hmm. for the media sort of thing that I'll be able to utilize that and to show how much momentum that we're getting, that there's interest in it. Because I wanted to show the political class that if this 
tactic was successful, that there is an actual political opposition. It's us. It's not the scripted opposition that we're being spoon-fed. What, what was the, the official opposition? Um, what, what was their stance? Uh, well, the, you're talking about the Conservative Party, Yes. are you? Oh, yes. interesting. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the opposition, yeah. It depends when you want to read the, the history that they retroactively re rewrite. Hmm. The, well, in the case of the provincial conservatives in Ontario, and this was, uh, and uh, the Houston government was just elected in Nova Scotia, the same mm -hmm. thing. Uh, there were provincial mandates that, was that were introduced by the conservatives. They were all on board. The entire political class, all, as much as they want to change it now and rewrite history, all of them were on board for our okay. safety. And our safety came in the form of a vaccine. Okay, uh, very much the same here as well. Yeah. We, we, we had a conservative government and um, there was, there was uh, no answer apart from the vaccine. Yeah. And any other option was shut down. Okay, so you've got, you got trucks rolling towards Ottawa. Um, we're getting into the thousands of trucks at this point. Um, we, we, we're getting a, a GoFundMe which is, which is skyrocketing. I'll let you continue to talk about that. Um, and, the, and they make it to Ottawa. Um, and you're on board at this point, are you? You're, you're with them. I met, no, I met up with, I live in Ontario. Okay. So myself and Tamara, we're t we talked, I don't know, 20, 30 times a day. Uh, we're trying to coordinate where we would meet up on the road when they were going through Ontario. Okay. Initially, they had a plan to go through, as she told me, they were going to go through the southern part of Ontario where I okay. live. I was going to hook up with them on the highway okay. and then meet you, them. You were going to take your rig, were you? No. No, I, okay. couldn't, I couldn't take my, I didn't take my car. Okay. It, just a little side note, a lot of people say, oh, there were no trucks there. Look at all the pickup trucks. Those weren't trucks. There's a reason for that. Because depending on the type of owner-operator contract you have with your company, you may or may not have insurance if you're not towing a load. So if I don't I have see. a load attached to me, I don't have, insur I don't have an insured vehicle as per my contract. Because the, the company I have a contract with, it's their license plates. That's how it works I in see. Canada. But some people are full owner operators. So they're yes. owner operators. But they, not tend to, they tend to be the older guys, the, the more established guys, and that's a minority of them. Not necessarily, but okay. yeah, maybe. I mean, they're, they're people that don't, they don't work for dedicated carriers, mm. right? I work for a dedicated carrier because I want it quick, simple, easy. I, I treat trucking almost like, you know, touring the United yeah. States a little bit. Uh, they do it differently. They'll, they may have their wife dispatching at home sort of thing. It's just a different way to operate the business. I see. So okay. those people can take their trucks to Ottawa. But people okay. like myself, like I know a lot of people, they're, yeah, I'd love to take my truck, but I'm going to have to take my pickup because I don't have insurance to bring okay. it. Okay. So um, they, they start rolling into Ottawa. And actually, yeah. t t tell me a little bit about, because this was, this was a real thing. Um, it, it was capturing attention, it was catching international attention before it even got to Ottawa. Yeah. So um, give me some of the background on the, the, the Trudeau government or, or however you want to come at it. What was, the, what was the political reaction to this before the trucks even started to arrive? They largely ignored it. Okay. Um, the local government in the city of in Ottawa, this is... It, all, so much has been rewritten by mm. the political class, it's hysterical. 
They seem to forget that we had somebody on the ground by the name of Chris Guerra, who runs an account called Adopt a Trucker, a little, you know, uh, I don't know, fundraising thing, where he was on the ground for a week meeting with the Ottawa police, getting prepared where we were going to stage the trucks. So you know where the trucks were parked that everybody's complaining about? The city of Ottawa told us where to park the trucks. So, oh, they tried, well, what do you want from us? Uh, and they were all celebrating the trucks coming in. The lefties are like, yeah, we're a free speech city. Yeah. We welcome the trucks coming to protest. Wonderful, great. And I guess they thought we would be gone after two days. So the so at this stage, the, the city and the police are being very professional and straightforward about all of this. The police were great. Okay, and yeah. the and the Trudeau government was ignoring it, and yeah. the um, opposition. But people listening, I'm I'm doing air quotes when I, when I say opposition. Um, the, the the opposition are also pretty much ignoring it at this point, are they? Or are they or are they starting to capitalize on it? They're starting to capitalize to a degree, and this should have been an alert. I didn't know this was going on, but for other people who saw, and and, and this is kind of a little bit how politics works. And I'll, I'll qualify this for people in England. I was a Conservative Party candidate in 2015 uh, for that party running against Trudeau. Mm -hmm. I'm not a political hawk. I, I tried politics to try to make a difference and learned how corrupt this whole system is. <laughs> okay. But um, the, the political... How, how to describe this the best? When, the, the, when we saw, when we heard that MP Zimmerman in BC and the former leader Andrew Scheer were waving at the trucks on the side of the highway in their jurisdictions, that should have been a red flag. No member of parliament, this is a tip on politics, no member of parliament will ever go near any sort of protest like that if they don't think they have it under control. If they don't think they have somebody in the party that's either leading it, influencing it, involved in it in some way, shape, or form. These are things that we learned after the fact. Okay, so we're not getting too much into, this, into the second part of this now, because yeah, we, yeah. we're still going for the straight bit now, but at, at this early stage, all it really was was a, a group of committed truckers who had been pushed too far, and, and Tamara who had come along and joined to provide help. That, that was the only sort of level of leadership that existed at all at this point. Uh... No, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know that that's fair mm -hmm. because there was a whole series of road captains, people who are leading each province. I see. So there was a type, a very quick uh, ad hoc uh, infrastructure put up, very loose. Mm -hmm. But okay, you're in, you're in charge of Quebec, you're in charge of BC, just tell us anything you guys need. Uh, there was supposed to be roadmaps that were supposed to be shared. They weren't for whatever reason, mm -hmm. I don't know. But everybody did what they could in a short period of time to get people together. And you know what? Okay. It worked really well. Mm. Uh, people really supported each other. They formed a lot of friendships on the way. And you saw some of the most majestic photos and, you know, aerial drone shots of what was the largest, longest convoy yes. in human history that exceeded at least 70 miles long. And I heard as much as 100 miles long of trucks. So it's been a very long time since I watched any legacy media, but I, I watch alt media. Good man. And um, it, it, this was getting very well covered. And I remember those drone shots. I remember 
huge convoys, I mean, stretching long, I mean, and, and this is from a drone as well, so you, you, you're seeing almost to the horizon, you're seeing huge convoys of trucks, you're seeing people waving from bridges, you're seeing children being lifted up to give paintings that they've done of the trucks to, to, to the truckers. Um, it, it, is, it has really captured people, and even though I don't watch legacy media, I think, was it, was it being picked up at all at this point by? No. No. No, they, they largely tried to ignore it. This, for me, was the biggest story of the year at that point. Yeah. Um, but okay, fine. I, I don't watch legacy media, so I'm, I'm out of the loop on that. Yeah. Um, what happens when it gets to Ottawa? It was chaos, and it was amazing, all at the same time. Hmm. The dynamic of Canada, it, Canadians will understand this, and I'll try to explain it to people uh, in, in, in a context that the Brits will understand. We have a very similar relationship, at least we perceived to have a similar relationship as England and France does. We have Quebec and we have Western Canada. Mm. And the love affair we perceived is the exact same parallels France and England as Quebec I'm and I'm not sure Alberta. I'd describe England and, and France as having a love affair. That's exactly such. my point. Yes. That's exactly <laughs> my point. However, when I arrived there, it was crazy. Uh, firstly, there were so many trucks, so many, it was unbelievable. I'll get to that in a second. But when I arrived in Ottawa and went down to Parliament Hill, the government had already started trying to make our lives difficult. They started blocking certain bridges coming into Ottawa. Mm -hmm. They weren't fully obstructioning, but they were kind of, yeah, okay. we're, we're here for truckers to protest, but we're not going to make their life easy. Okay, fine. To watch the full video, please become a premium member at lotuseaters.com.